If you and I are willing to learn and we're seeking to learn, no experience is ever wasted. Inevitably, I've found at some point in your life, an experience that you've had will help you have valuable insight into a decision that's going to need to be made. Welcome to the Journey to Impact podcast, where we show you how to turn your unique passion into a strategy to change the world. If this is your first time to join us, we're glad you're here. We've been going through a series on the basics of impact based on the book, Journey to Impact by Ed Gillentine. If you want to follow along in the book, you can get a copy from Barnes & Noble, Amazon, or edgillentine.com. However, these episodes are still going to be valuable for you, even if you don't have the book. Today, Ed's going to talk about your unique experiences and how they tie into your passions and your skills that we've been talking about to help you discover your sweet spot for where and how you can make an impact. It's time to get off the bench. Let's do this. Here's your host, Ed Gillentine. Hello, this is Ed Gellantine. Thanks for joining us on our sixth podcast in this series on the basics of impact. And today we're going to talk about your experiences and how important they are in the process of designing and defining your unique impact focus. The second half of this podcast will try to talk about how the passions and skills that we've talked about in the last couple of podcasts along with the experiences that we'll discuss in a minute, we'll all work together to help you find your unique impact sweet spot. So let's dive right in. In our last podcast, we talked about skill, and closely related to that is experience. For most of us, the practical training of experience is much more of an influence on our level of skill than any formal training that we may have had. And that, that goes for CPAs, CFOs, CFPs, and MDs, as much as it does for skilled tradesmen, IT folks, beekeepers, and parents. I include parents because so far it's the most challenging experience I've had. One of the best things about gaining experience is that it's never wasted if we're paying attention and, and seeking to learn. And I emphasize that point because I meet so many people who think that their experiences don't add any value. And even worse... I meet a lot of people that feel as though their experiences have reduced the value that they bring to the table. So I have some friends that were unable to attend college because they were needed in the family business, and so they feel underqualified educationally. But in every case that I've had the opportunity to personally observe, that informal education of working in the family business was a much better education than they would have received at a traditional college or university. It was as if they were able to have their own sort of custom-built graduate degree program and MBA sort of rolled all into one, right? And they better understand that people without college degrees can many times have just as much or more to offer as those who do have college degrees. So, for example, maybe an electrician feels like their career choice is not as important as the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. But both the CEO and the electrician have skills that can be utilized across the globe for impact, and one is not better than the other. As we mentioned in a previous podcast, you can't control when you were born. You can't control where you were born. Think of those of us in the United States. What a privilege and a blessing simply to be born here. But we can't control that. And many of our life experiences and circumstances are simply beyond our control. But 
we can control what we do with them. I've met people who've worked their way through college. They didn't have time for much of a social life. And as a result, they feel like their careers are in some way limited because they don't have the same connections as their friends that were really active in fraternities and sororities. And they met a lot of people. But what I've noticed is that their work ethic and the discipline that they learned in the process has become one of their most valuable skills. I just finished reading a book called Range, and the author's name escapes me right now, but it was really good. And it talked about how many times taking five, 10 years, I believe his research was showing that as late as 35 or age 40, when you start to really hone in on your career path, those people many times have more success by his metrics than those who seemingly came right out of college or high school or whatever and jumped into their preferred vocation. So more and more research is showing that one is not better than the other necessarily. And so don't ever shortchange yourself because maybe you didn't have the experiences that you felt like you should have. I'll give an example of my life. Before I went to college, just because of series of circumstances, I had to start working when I was late 15, early 16. So I cut grass. I had my own lawn business. I was able to sell it. Um, I worked in a music store, um, which is certainly not me doing stocking, but just exposed me to a, a group of people, musicians, that I just was not around. I delivered pizza in college. One of my favorite jobs because you got free pizza at the end of the shift. Um, I worked at a hardware store. Um, That was where I learned to drive a forklift, which to this day is probably one of my favorite things I've ever done. And I kind of wish I could go back and do it. Just sort of by yourself back there in the lumber yard, moving gigantic piles of concrete or wood or lumber or cabinets or whatever around. But I wasn't able to play sports like I had wanted to and had hoped to. I wasn't able to hang out with my friends as much. I didn't get to go to as many pool parties because I needed to work. And that was, frankly, all the way through college. But the skills that I learned, the work ethic that I learned, um, the different people that I met really was invaluable for me and continues to be invaluable to me almost 30 years later. I know countless women who step away from their careers to spend more time with their children, many of whom feel like that they have less to contribute than those who chose to stay in the workforce. But I can think right offhand of several ladies who were able to step immediately into major roles in impact organization as their time became available as the kids got older. And they not only picked up right where they left off, but the relationships that they built during their career sabbatical ended up being critical in their new posts. So I don't know what your experience has been or what it's going to be, And I don't know what the value will be that will come out of those experiences, but I do know that it's there. And at the risk of repeating myself, if you and I are willing to learn and we're seeking to learn, no experience is ever wasted. Inevitably, I've found at some point in your life, an experience that you've had will help you have valuable insight into a decision that's going to need to be made. So life experiences have a profound impact on how we view life as well as how we live it. I have a dear friend of mine who wanted to go into the nonprofit world. And after 
10 years or so of working in the nonprofit world and being very good at what he did, he was let go from the nonprofit job and he ended up in banking just to pay the bills, right? And parenthetically, banking would be the last place in the world my friend would have ever thought he would have ended up. But over the years, he's actually been able to give more of his time to real impact as opposed to all the administrative duties he had to do while he was actually working with the nonprofits. And he's also been able to give more money because he makes a lot more. And now he has a unique perspective on how nonprofits function as well as their strengths and weaknesses. So my friend never thought he would have an impact in banking. But now he's having more impact than he ever dreamed of. I've heard stories time and again how college majors didn't work out, careers have imploded or exploded, skills that were hated but were mastered have all worked out to put people in positions to have more impact than they could have ever imagined. And many times on top of all of that, they ended up loving what they're doing. Over the years in Ethiopia, our strategies have changed, but my role has stayed the same. I'm pretty good at creating a launching pad for vision, pretty good at connecting people and seeing potential areas for impact and for creating high-level deals. But I'm not good at dealing with details, running an ag company with 150 employees in a foreign culture. I'm not good at all in dealing with the frontline bureaucratic maze in a foreign country or even in our own for that matter. And every single time that I stray out of my skill set and into somebody else's, chaos ensues. Not just a little bit, but a lot. As a matter of fact, I would mention to you that one of the skills that you really need to learn and hone over the years is having a better understanding of what you're not good at and staying away from it. As a matter of fact, on one of my strategic or this year's strategic plan is to work on a not to do list. It's a pretty fascinating discipline. But when you can stay in your sweet spot, in your area of expertise, in your area of skill, you're just going to have a lot more success. Most of us are going to end up having the greatest impact in an area that we have the greatest experience in. That doesn't mean if you grew up on a farm, you're going to end up in agriculture, right? I didn't grow up in a farm, and uh, one of our major focuses of impact is ag, right? It doesn't mean if you're a doctor that you're only going to do health care. Right? I have a bunch of doctor friends that when they go work with in developing countries, they don't do any medicine. So it doesn't mean that you'll end up only impacting the area that you've had experience in. What it does mean, though, is that you'll use those experiences, including the ones you hated, including the ones that you thought were wasted, in whatever area of impact you choose to work in. As we wrap up this session on experience... And also keep in mind the last two podcasts on passion and skill. It's important to keep both perspective and balance. So I believe in utilizing psych tests, personality tests, career aptitude tests to help give you some direction. But just because they indicate that you should be doing one thing or the other doesn't mean you need to force your way into it or out of it. Just let it come. So I want to embrace the research and the discoveries that have come with advances in neuroscience and psychology. But you need to embrace your heart and what I call your gut as well. And you'll be surprised at how it ends up pointing you down the road to impact. And it's always amazing to me when finding one's passion, how that reveals some hidden psychological and emotional capacity that a person didn't even know they had. 
And I've also seen how giving voice to your passion unearths skills that you have no idea that you possess. Keep this in mind. Without all different types of passions, skills, and experiences, no organization can be completely whole and no organization can have sustainable needle-moving impact. So let's talk about your unique impact sweet spot. And I would say that if you haven't bought the book, this is probably a good time to do it because it has these lists and processes that we're about to go through spelled out for you, and it probably would save you a little bit of of note-taking. So we've talked about your unique passions, we've talked about your unique skills, and we've also talked about your unique experiences. I would say that this is probably the crux of this discussion on impact and possibly the most important part of the entire discussion that we're going through related to the book, Journey to Impact. And I would say this, where your passions, your skills, and your experiences overlap is likely your impact sweet spot. And I would also go so far as to suggest that this is where your unique description of impact is going to likely collide with your execution of the impact. So there are three stages to the process of developing your unique framework for impact. First stage is brainstorming. The second stage is feedback. And the third stage is focus. So hopefully, as we walk through this, you'll get an idea of the process And you can kind of hit pause as we go through it or take some notes, look at the book, get an idea of the process and then schedule some time on your calendar, which is likely probably the best way to do it. So the first stage is this process of brainstorming. And when I think of the word brainstorming, I always think of the concept of spitballing. That is nothing is off limits. You just throw out your ideas, write them down and we'll work with the ones that stick. And in that same way, you're going to need to get an idea of your passions your skills, and your experiences. So first you need to schedule a minimum of one and a half hours on your calendar for this brainstorming part of the process and find a place that's a good environment for you to think. My personal favorite place is at the beach. Um, You may have an office with a bunch of whiteboards. You may like to take walks in the woods. You will need to have an environment where you can have some note-taking material. But once you find that place, Begin writing down all the things about which you're passionate. And then write down all of the skills and skill sets that you believe you have. And then thirdly, write down as many of your formative experiences that you can think of. So when I've done this, and I do this every couple of years, just to repeat the process and continually hone our impact, you may ping around. So maybe you have written on a piece of paper columns of passions, column for skills, and a column for experiences. Because you may think of injustice, for example, and then you think of sex trafficking, and then you think of at-risk kids. Or you may think of injustice, and then you think, well, I'm an attorney, and I remember something in law school that I need to go check that out, right? Or maybe if I'm thinking about at-risk children, it reminds me of an experience of helping in a community center in summertime in high school and working with young children. So just be prepared to go all over the place. And you're going to repeat this process at least two or three times, right, during this one and a half hours. After you've got a pretty good list, go through what you've written down and underline or circle or highlight what you think are your top five in each area. 
So it's okay if it's not five, just don't let it be more than five at this stage, right? And then you're going to take a piece of paper and you're going to draw three overlapping circles. And you're going to title one circle passions, one circle skills, and one circle experiences. And you can see a picture of what I'm talking about in the book. And you're going to write your top five in each circle. And where you think there's overlap, draw a line to the overlapping part of the circle. In my own sort of diagram that I've drawn for myself, it's the one actually that's in the book. Under passions, I have at-risk kids, injustice, visual arts, and history. And under skills, I have education, business, cultural sensitivity, and high-level meetings. And under experiences, I have CFO, business startups, Ethiopia, Africa, and I have financial. And so if you think about at-risk kids, they probably go in the sweet spot along with cultural sensitivity and Ethiopia and Africa, right? So that would be kind of a sweet spot. And so work through that and take your time. There's no magic answers. Remember, this is unique to you. Again, take at least an hour and a half. Maybe you want to take two segments of an hour and a half. Put your feet back up on the desk or walk around. Make sure your head's clear, that you're focused, and work really hard on this part of it. Now, the next stage is feedback. And this is the stage where you're going to need to get feedback on the brainstorming stage from some trusted loved ones or friends or colleagues. I would recommend that you get at least three people to look at it, but no more than five at this stage, because that can get a little bit too unmanageable. And you want to briefly explain to them what you're doing and ask them if you can schedule an hour or so with them to get their thoughts. So we all have blind spots, right? And this is a fantastic opportunity to get an outside perspective. And you may think you have some passion, skills, or experiences that really aren't there. These trusted friends will let you know that. You may also have some skills or passions or experiences that you've overlooked or just simply don't see in yourself. And so you want to make sure you give to your loved ones, friends, and colleagues, these three to five folks, the freedom to be honest. Don't defend yourself. Just listen. And if it's necessary, ask clarifying questions. So you're going to ask three to five people to read over your notes from the brainstorming stage. Maybe even let them read the chapter in the book. And then ask them to write down any additional passions or skills or experiences that they think are important, but that you haven't listed. And then ask them to write down any passions or skills or experiences that are in your notes that they think are inaccurate or shouldn't be there. And then you're also going to ask them to draw those three overlapping circles and write what they believe are your top five passions, skills, and experiences in each circle. Finally, you're going to ask them to give you their perspective on where they see overlap, basically that sweet spot. All right, so this is a pretty vulnerable thing. Um, So you want to just be prepared to be open and honest. And again, I would strongly encourage you to take an approach where you just listen and ask clarifying questions as needed. So once you go through that process, and that'll take some time, the final stage is what I call focusing. And I think of a pair of binoculars when you're trying to focus them on an object that's way out in the distance. And my mind immediately goes to a lake house that some friends of ours have in East Tennessee. This house is really beautiful. It has stunning views of the lake, 
through these gigantic walls of windows and a gigantic deck that runs the length of the house there on the back that looks at the lake. And directly across the inlet where the house sits is a huge old tree that's the home of a really beautiful bald eagle. And by one of the windows, our friends have set up a tripod with a pair of binoculars as sort of an observation point. And so every morning, whenever we visit, I always get up and get my cup of coffee and go grab the binoculars and start looking for that eagle. And I always focus first on the tree, right? And at first, it's really hazy. And then forms begin to look a little bit more recognizable. The tree begins to look like a tree. The eagle's nest begins to look sort of like a blob of an eagle's nest. And as the binoculars focus even more, there's two circles that begin to intersect. And when the binoculars are finally in focus, those two circles become one clear picture. And so in this final stage of focusing, that's sort of the image that I have in my mind. And once again, you want to schedule an hour or two in a place that's conducive to thinking and then ask yourself a few questions. Don't limit them to this, but these will get you going. Of the areas of passion written in the corresponding circle, which one seems to have the strongest connection to what you feel are your strongest skills and experiences? How do each of your top five skills and experiences relate to each of your top five passions? What direct impact connections do you already have that are related to the passions, skills, and experiences in the three circles? What indirect impact connections do you already have that are related to the passion, skills, and experiences in the three circles? Finally, are you already working within an area related to those passion, skills, and experiences in the three circles? So if you think about those four or five questions, you'll start to get a little bit of focus, right? The tree starts to look like a tree. The eagle's nest starts to look like an eagle's nest. So brainstorming and feedback, in my mind, are the two individual lenses of the binoculars that will ultimately merge into one clear picture of impact. And the more often you revisit each stage, the tighter and more clearly focused the view the picture is going to become. Ted Williams, who in my view was the greatest hitter in the history of baseball, was a student of hitting. He didn't get great just because he had a natural propensity, right? And Ted had created a chart that tracked every single pitch to a given quadrant of the strike zone. It was approximately seven baseballs wide and 11 baseballs high. And he knew his batting average for every quadrant. And as a result, he knew exactly where his favorite pitches were, what he called his happy zone. By the way, tracking those pitches was a pretty amazing thing to do, pretty detailed. took a lot of time back in the day before you had the digital technology that we have now. Well... His first rule of hitting was to always look for a pitch in the happy zone until forced to do otherwise. So relative to impact, my point is this. In baseball, when you've got two strikes, you have to swing at the next strike, whether it's in your happy zone or not, right? That's because getting called out on a third strike that you don't even swing at is the absolute worst thing you can do. On the journey to impact, though, we can wait for a great pitch that's in our sweet spot no matter how long it takes, because there's not a rule about three strikes and you're out, right? So be patient. Stay in your sweet spot and wait for a pitch to drive, to use some baseball vernacular. Stay in your sweet spot. Wait for that pitch and drive it. Now, at the same time, don't create a sweet spot that's so small that you're never going to get the exact pitch that you want. 
in the game of impact in the same sense that you'll never get called out on a third strike if you don't swing. You're also never going to strike out for swinging and missing at four pitches, right? So stay in your happy zone. Stay in your impact sweet spot. Be disciplined, but don't forget to swing. Thanks for listening to this session. I hope it was helpful. Our next session will be about signs of success in impact organizations. I look forward to being with you then. So find that sweet spot. Understand where your passions, skills, and experiences all overlap, and you can find the right place to have real impact. But like Ed reminds us, don't forget to swing. Like we said in a previous episode when talking about the impact of Mother Teresa or Martin Luther King Jr., your impact is just as important because if you don't do it, it won't get done. Remember to go to the show notes at edgillentine.com if you want to download the guide to help you as you walk through this process. That's E-D-G-I-L-L-E-N-T-I-N-E dot com. See you next time.